All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I want to welcome to the program Roe Lawson. He is running for the Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board of Education. Roe, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, absolutely. So first off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us your bio. Um, I'm assuming you've got some kids someplace and maybe they go to school. <laughs> yes. I actually have three children, um, a ninth grader and two 12th graders that are about to graduate this June, um, all at um, Huff High School up in Cornelius. Okay. And so uh, by way of background for yourself, what do you do? What's your, uh, do, do you work? And if so, what profession, what career? I actually am a retired Air Force officer after 21 years serving um, as a federal agent for the Air Force, uh, specializing in counterintelligence, counterterrorism, and anti-terrorism owned a couple of businesses, and now I work for in the accounting department of a truck company, trucking company in Concord, North Carolina. Okay, well, the so the counterterrorism background might be helpful uh, from a school safety perspective and some of those committee meetings, I'm guessing, on the Board of Ed. Um, so uh, why, you want, why Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board? Uh, I will relay the story that a former school board chairman, Joe White, told me when, his, when he told his daughter he was going to run for school board instead of re-election on city council. And she said, Dad, why would you do that? Some people like city council members, but nobody likes school board members. So why would you do that? <laughs> That's a great opening, Pete. Um, I think in this year of the parent that there is much needed uh, uh, new leadership needed for this board of education, uh, specifically where I'm going to be running up in the Lake Norman District 1 area. Um, parents are just begging for a new voice, um, a fresh voice, new leadership. And based on the dumpster fire of that, what's been going on currently with our current CMS Board of Education, uh, not just only in uh, North Mech, but in the entire county, parents are just begging for a change because um, with student outcomes the way they are, safety, an ongoing issue, um, and uh, lack of accountability and transparency, those three main areas are what I'm going to be focusing on. That's why I'm running for um, school board. So how do you, if you win election, how do you as a newcomer to that board influence change if uh, other members of the board end up returning and you end up with a largely status quo uh, board uh, among your colleagues? That's a great question, Pete. One thing that is clearly obvious is that the current board isn't working well together, and a lot of the solutions, if you want to even call them that, haven't been panning out. I hope to try and bring a fresh vision, um, a new voice, so that I, regardless of their background or ideology, we can try and work together to come up with solutions for the students and, and give control back to the parents and try and, and breathe new life into this board that has been just doing the same old, same old, and that's proven by the um, uh, statistics, which regardless of whether they're pre- or post-COVID, they're still pretty dismal. And it's my hope and goal to try and uh, create a new feeling, uh, a new type of um, uh, shared vision with my fellow board members once I'm elected in November. You said give control back to parents. What do you mean by that? How so? Well, as far as looking at how are, do they have any say with regards to the curriculum? This has been an ongoing issue right now within our county, within the board of what type of books are being introduced to the um, children, uh, what are the teachers teaching, um, 
all these things that parents should be involved with, they're not. And while they can come up and every month go ahead and speak during board meetings, a lot of times many of those pleas for answers and solutions go unanswered. Um, and with regards to control that I'm referring to is having this partnership. What I want to try to do, in specifically in my district, is to try and create task forces on those very specific issues that are um, of main concern to the parents and then bring them to my fellow board members and to discuss them and talk about them and see that if, in fact, these are the concerns of the parents where I represent, let me see if I can go ahead and try and enact change, uh, impactful change with my fellow board members to ultimately um, affect student outcomes. That's my number one goal because at the end of the day, the Board of Education's job is to give a good education to our children and teaching them how to read, write, and do math. And uh, CMS is not doing a good job of that? Not at all. Not, not in the least bit. And with a $1.7 billion budget, you know, a student population of over 144,000 students in the 17th largest school district in the country, something's got to change. And I think if there's a year to do that, Pete, it's in 2022. Yeah. So let me ask you, you mentioned the year of the parent, and this is, there, there is obviously a, uh, a parental wave that is crashing onto the shores of K-12 education. Um, we see it also with this, uh, this story out of Florida, Governor DeSantis signing the, uh, the bill that says, look, you cannot talk about these things uh, about sexual orientation and gender identity and sexuality. You should not be talking with kids in grades K through three. Uh, about these topics, and what's uh, pretty been pretty amazing to me is to see how many teachers that are like demanding that no, no, we should we should be allowed to do that. So, what do you think of the and what you know of the the law and the the story out of Florida? What do you think of this? Because this tension does exist elsewhere. It's just it's kind of bubbling up in Florida, right? But this this same tension exists. Yeah, and I think that's probably no different here, and especially attending uh, past meetings uh, for the school board that there is um, a attention to this topic. With regards to my personal beliefs, my, my job is to try and provide the best education for those students, and especially those in the K through three uh, grade levels um, at the elementary schools. Um, with regards to trying to introduce any type of other ideology, I don't think it's our place as a school to try and do that. It's, it, we're having already a big enough problem or trouble uh, trying to raise the academic standards, the student outcomes. So my focus will be on uh, uh, having all the resources available to us put forth towards the students and the teachers to ultimately help them get the best education and prepare them for college. Um, also, hand in glove with this is critical race theory. Do you think it's being taught in schools or uh, or not? At this point right now, it's uh, not a problem within Mecklenburg schools. I know um, that many parents are concerned about that, and I would be too. As, as I mentioned, my goal is to try and right this ship with regards to the types of resources. And in past uh, recent meetings, we've been talking, or I've heard the superintendent talk about trying to have interventionists, um, substitute teachers, tutors, to try and raise that um, education gap that it, uh, inevitably has been lost these past two years because of COVID. But with regards to that topic, right now, that's not going to be my focus. It is going to be um, listening to the parents, finding out what their needs are, and bringing it back to the board to try and come up with actual 
impactful solutions. All right, Roe Lawson running for Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board of Ed, District 1. Thanks for your time, sir. You got a website you want to direct people to or something, or a Facebook yeah, group? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I'm on Facebook at Roe for uh, School Board, Roe Lawson for School Board, and my website is Roe Lawson, R-O-L-A-W-S-I-N.com. All right, thanks so much. We'll talk with you again. Good luck on the campaign trail. Wonderful. Thanks for having right. me on. Peace. Yes, sir. Take care. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Thanks so much for uh, to Roe Lawson, that's spelled L-A-W-S-I-N, uh, for joining me on the program. He's running for Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board in District 1. Um, he announces his candidacy now. Um, on the topic of the Florida law, when um, when parents are actually told what that law does, because it got signed into law by the governor. And of course, everyone's freaking out and they're calling it the, the left and the media. But I repeat myself, they they call it the don't say gay bill, which, of course, if you look in the the bill itself and the law now, it, it doesn't actually say anything like that. It doesn't say don't say gay. It's it, it says you should not be having age inappropriate conversations about your sexuality. I don't understand. I'm seeing videos because the outreach from the teachers, and I understand these are, you know, a handful that post these videos up on TikTok. I know it's not all the teachers, hashtag not all teachers. I understand it's not all of them, not everyone. There are a lot of great people doing great work. And I've always said, I always feel the need to point this out. I consider teaching to be more of an art form than science. And people who are really, really good at it should be compensated really, really, really well for it. But I refuse to be held hostage and have to pay a ransom to the bad teachers in order to pay the good teachers what they are actually worth. I refuse. And I'm sorry, that means that the great teachers don't get paid commensurate with their skill set. But you're being used. You're being used. Anyway. I don't understand these teachers who go on to social media and talk about how they're just not going to be able to do their job unless they're able to talk to your first grader about their significant other. I had no idea that any of my teachers had a life outside of the classroom <laughs> when I was in kindergarten through third grade. I saw them during the day. They were a big part of my life. And then I went home and I didn't think of them unless I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be in trouble if I don't do this homework assignment. I never considered the fact that one of my teachers might be married or not or might be married to someone of the same sex or not. Turns out one was in fifth grade. She was single. But back then, that, that you know, nobody I, I didn't think anything of it. Miss Roman, that was her name. That's all I knew. I don't understand this need to tell me what your relationships are, especially if I'm a first grader. Why are you doing that? Are you seriously incapable of teaching a child first grade curriculum unless you get to work in somehow that you're non-binary or something? Really? Really? 
There's something else going on here. I've mentioned this before, and I came across this fellow. His name is Josh Dawes, who is um, host of a podcast called The Great Awakening, which is a great name for a podcast. He says the he's pushing back against the right that is arguing like why do all these lefties try to or why do they want to sleep with your kids why are they all grooming your kids and all this stuff and look there is definitely a population of people that are utilizing the current uh atmosphere and environment to abuse and take advantage of kids absolutely okay so let's set aside that population for a moment listen to what this guy says because this is the larger point going on here, and it is connected to critical race theory. This is the larger point. The left doesn't want to diddle kids. They want to create little revolutionaries. That is key. Always keep that in mind. That's the purpose. To create a revolutionary, what must you do? You must sever the bond between parent and child. You have to. And if you can make the child believe that the parents are trying to raise them to be hateful bigots, it becomes easier to do. In order to sever the bond between the uh, parents and kids, this is what Josh Dawes says, the left is using a two-pronged approach, critical race theory and radical gender ideology, properly known as queer theory. So critical race theory and queer theory. They are not unrelated They're two parts of the same strategy. CRT is usually the first set of ideas to be introduced. This is often enough to radicalize racial minorities. But it's merely step one for white students or white adjacent students. And be careful. Asian kids, you're getting pretty close to being white adjacent. Just letting you know. Heads up. CRT instills in these kids a negative self-identity as they're taught to believe they are recipients of enormous privilege that was stolen from others and that they are complicit in historic and ongoing injustice. In child terms, they're taught to believe that they're bad. How does this relate to queer theory? I'll tell you in a minute. This song is dedicated... To all the people that file to run for every elected office, every single election season, and never win. All righty. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, I was reading uh, Tweet Storm. Well, they don't call them Tweet Storms any longer. They call them Threads. But uh, it's where you string together a whole bunch of tweets and on Twitter, obviously. And um, Josh Dawes strung a bunch of these together, and he's the host of a podcast called The Great Awakening. And he talks about critical race theory and radical gender ideology, properly known as queer theory. They are not unrelated sets of ideas. They're two parts of the same strategy, which is to drive a wedge between the relationship between kids and their parents. Critical race theory is the first set of ideas, he says, that usually gets introduced, and this is often enough to radicalize minority kids, but it's just the first step for white kids and white-adjacent 
students. Critical race theory instills in the white kids a negative self-identity because they're taught to believe that they have all this privilege, that it was stolen from other people, and that they are complicit in all of these things that other people did hundreds and thousands of years ago that they are responsible. They're taught to believe they're bad. Apart from the shame and the guilt, this also gives them a, a view of the world that is directly at odds with the one that their parents grew up with and the one that the parents are trying to pass on to the kids. That's the obvious wedge. It's undeniable, by the way. Josh Dawes is exactly correct. I've talked about this as well, that that is the purpose. And it is even more obvious when you start talking about queer theory, because now You've made the person feel, the, the child feel like they're complicit in these terrible wrongs, that they they should feel bad about this, that the worldview that they are now uh, being taught by their parents is hateful, bigotry. Once CRT is done tearing down the kids and leaving them with a negative self-identity, in steps queer theory. That offers them a whole menu of... Things to choose from, self-identities that are positive. You can have, oh, look, you can you can list all of these different things and you can have, you know, a 17-word structure to define who you are at any given moment of the day. And that's also positive. You're doing the work, as they like to say in the neo-Marxist tradition. And that's what these are, by the way. That's the That's the point here. Instead of living with the shame and the guilt of being a member of the oppressive dominant culture, the kids can be celebrated for coming out as gender non-binary and pansexual or whatever, right? In an instant, they trade the negative self-identity and all of the accompanying guilt, all of the shame of being an oppressor, and now they have a positive self-identity as a much venerated oppressed minority. So at this point... The left desperately wants this new identity to be at school so it has time to be cemented, to calcify, before the parents find out. That's why you've got these these laws being written now saying, uh-uh, you don't get to do this stuff to my kid without parental notification. And what does the left say in response to that argument? Well, it might be unsafe at the home. Everything's harmful. Everything's unsafe. Everything's a danger. But that's how that's how they the reason why is they they need this separation to occur because in the guise of helping the students, schools withhold the information about their child's new identity from mom and dad. And once the parents do find out about it, it's too late. It's already calcified. It's firmly in place. And now you've got an adversarial relationship between child and parents. And the parent is saying, what the heck are you talking about? Pansexual? What what does that even mean? And what does the child say? You just don't understand me. I mean, they just layer in the teen angst and hormones and everything else. And you've got a sufficient wedge to drive those two people apart from one another. Josh Dawes goes on to say it takes extraordinarily deft parenting to repair the relationship once it has reached this stage. The parent's tendency will be to overreact and push the child further into the arms of the woke radicals 
who now have the little revolutionary they wanted from the beginning. The bond between parents and child has been severed, ending the perpetuation of hate and bigotry. The left is determined to replicate this process in as many families as they can using whatever means at their disposal, he says. It's not about diddling kids. I mean, for all people. Hashtag not all leftists. It's, It's about capturing the minds of impressionable children. And I understand as I'm reading through this that there are people who will hear this and do like an eye roll so great they see their brain. I understand. I know what this sounds like. I really do. It was one of the biggest obstacles for me to have to get over when I started exploring in-depth critical race theory about two years ago, three years ago. Start looking into it, figuring out what exactly is this about and what it exactly is about. And I know how this sounds. It is exactly about neo-Marxism. And I'm not talking like a made up term that I've come up with neo-Marxism. I'm talking about the term that the actual Marxists came up with. Antonio Gramsci, the prison uh, papers that he wrote, the long march through the institutions. These are their words. This plan is their plan. He said it has to go through the institutions, through the culture, because it's not an economic battle between economic classes in rich societies, particularly free rich societies like America. It wouldn't work. And so he came up with the idea of neo-Marxism. He's a Marxist, still wants to get to the same location. He just said Karl Marx had it wrong about pitting the economic classes against each other because it doesn't work. That model doesn't work in a society such as ours where people who get to come here find out very quickly, oh, if I work hard, oh, look at that. I got a bunch of money. Oh, look at that. Now my kids are better off than I was. Oh, look at that. We can afford a house and a car. And oh, look at that. We have security and economic freedom. Right, so telling them that someone is oppressing them doesn't really work so well, particularly if they come from a country where they actually are oppressed, right? They have something to compare it to. So the neo-Marxist movement said this is, and this is where you get the critical theory, folks. That's where this comes from. And that's a direct lineage from the 20s and 30s, direct lineage right through to Harvard Law, Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, critical legal theory, Crit, uh, sorry, critical legal studies, and then critical race theory. This It's a direct line. Again, this isn't me saying this. This is them saying this. They say this stuff. So that's what it's about, according to Josh Dawes. We'll pick up there and give you some polling on this in a minute, which uh, should, I don't know, it, it's a bit encouraging. I find it to be a bit encouraging. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. So I got a uh, survey here from Public Opinion Strategies. Uh, They put out a memo, two interested parties from Robert Blizzard, uh, talking about the national poll results. Public Opinion Strategies conducted this national survey of registered voters. um, Total of 1,000, plus or minus 3.5 percentage points on this stuff, so just keep that in mind. First key finding, when Americans are presented with the actual language of the new Florida law, what the left and the media, but I repeat myself, they call the don't say gay law, which is not what the law says. But when they are given the actual language of the law, it is supported by two out of three respondents. It's a two to one margin. 
The actual language says classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through third grade or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. That statement gets overall 61% support, 26% oppose. The rest are unsure. Among Republicans, it's 70% to 23. Among independents, it's 58 to 26. Among Democrats, it's 55 to 29. And parents, 67 to 24. There isn't a single demographic subgroup here, cohort, that disagrees with that statement. That's it. The lowest group, the, the, the lowest supported group, uh, it is the Biden 2020 voters. 5330, but they still support it too. So, I mean, this is encouraging. Everybody tends to agree with this stuff, but we're being fed this constant line of crap from media and Democrats for what purpose? For what purpose? Is this for electoral purposes? Is this to harm DeSantis? Oh, sorry, Death Santis. Is that what this is about? They're afraid he's going to be the Republican nominee, so they. They got to try to tag them with all of this. Now, there are some of them that are true believers, some that are naive, some that don't understand it. There's a lot of people in media I have found over the years that do not understand the stories that they cover. Absolutely. How about this? Fewer than 10% of Americans want to see gender removed from birth certificates. Fewer than 10, it's only 8%. 8% of Americans believe states should remove gender from birth certificates. 79% say, no, leave it on there. Among Republicans, it's 93%. Independents, it's 79%. And among Democrats, it's still a two-to-one margin of support for leaving gender on the birth certificates. But why does it seem like all we hear is how every, everybody is moving this one direction and you're the square, you're just old-fashioned, you're a bigot. And finally... By a two-to-one margin, Americans believe transgender athletes should play on sports teams that match their birth gender. 60% to 24% margin. Voters believe transgender athletes should only be allowed to play on sports teams that match their birth gender. Republicans, it's 85 to 7%. 85% to 7%. Independent voters, it's 60% to 23%. Democratic voters, not so sure. They're almost evenly split, 39 to 36. They're getting wobbly. I don't know. Should they? I don't know where they should play. Back to Josh Dawes, who is the uh, host of a podcast, The Great Awakening. And he's talking about the tactic of the left. And I feel the need to point this out again, that sometimes I use them interchangeably, but usually not. When I say the left, I'm talking about a, a specific cohort of people on the political spectrum. These are not necessarily Democrats, and Democrats are not necessarily leftists. I mean, there is obviously cross-pollination going on there, but there are a lot of people in the Democratic Party, they see this. They see this happening, this cancer that's just infecting their operation, their organization, their ability to win elections. The left wants to replicate this wedge between parent and child in as many different ways as possible because it's 
It's about capturing the minds of impressionable kids. That's the point. You got to get the revolutionary started young, right? You can't really have the cultural revolution if you don't have the kids that get rid of the olds. So this creates, at the same time, unfortunately, an environment where actual predators can and do thrive. When young kids are isolated from their parents, when they are encouraged to adopt different beliefs and keep secrets from their parents, they are made easy targets for abusers. Oh, but but my school has Christian teachings and a Christian principle. They couldn't possibly have this agenda. Josh Dawes says, hear me loud and clear on this. Most teachers love the kids in their classrooms. They want only the best for them. They have had their empathy for these kids weaponized against them too by leftist activists promoting educational programs that sound nice and sound all caring. And so you get teachers, mainly women, who are highly empathetic, and they're being used to promote the agenda unaware of its insidious purpose. He said, I saw a teacher at a Christian school announce that she would no longer be using the words mom, dad, or parents in her classroom. Why? Well, because she just read a paper on the importance of making kids from non-traditional families feel included. So she said, uh, we should replace the event Donuts with Dads with Bagels with Buds or something like that, right? Take dad out of the, out of the branding. And it sounds like, oh, that's, good. that's considerate. Right, but it's also designed to chip away at the very idea of the normative nuclear family. A stated goal, by the way, of the Black Lives Matter organization. Trained Marxists, self-described leaders. Christians who think that we can embrace the ideas from CRT and reject radical gender ideology need to realize how the former is used to prepare kids to accept the latter. These are your kids we're talking about. The left wants them. They're trying to make revolutionaries. Fred Winterbill's coming up next. Stick around. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.